Eric, I got something new in the mail that I want to tell you about. Well, I guess I paid for it. It's not like it was fan mail or anything, but have you heard of the company Han Cholo? I have because of you. Yeah, have I talked about them before? No, I just, like, I read your Facebook sometimes, Lauren. I'm a creep. Oh, yeah. Well, no, we're just real friends. You don't have to put it that way. Oh. <laughs> but can I still be a so, creep, though? That's fine. I appreciate <laughs> being stalked on social media. That's why I have so many channels and use it so much. <laughs> So Han Cholo is this really cool jewelry company, and this is not sponsored. This is not an ad, even though it's going to sound like one. I wish they would sponsor us. And they do metal jewelry based on lots of 80s and 90s cartoons and also Dungeons and Dragons. So they got like cool Power Rangers stuff and He-Man stuff. But they also have a line inspired by the new She-Ra. Um, I already owned the helmet ring from the 80s cartoon, and now I just got a necklace pendant that is the new sword. Uh, I just want to give them like a shout out because their stuff is so cool. It's really high quality. And they actually had a, a break in like a really bad robbery earlier this year. And so that really sucked. And they could really use like your patronage and your money. And so... I like throwing them a couple dollars to get the sword that I now wear around my neck, and it's the same sword that's tattooed on my body. I guess I can't get enough, but check out Han Cholo. There's lots of stuff that I think would look good on on guys, too. That's great. Yeah, this is a really good time to support small business, because one weird thing about the pandemic is that the big guys are actually doing as well or better than before, but most small businesses are not doing very well at all. So if you would like to support a great jewelry maker you should support Han Cholo. And of course, definitely support the real sponsor for this episode, Stamps.com. For when you don't want to go to the post office, go to Stamps.com. Use promo code for the honor of Grayskull 2020 for 10% off your first order from Stamps.com. This is not a real don't promo. Ma- no, don't make up that we got sponsorship because... <laughs> no, I hope no one believes that. I tried to make that promo code long enough that no one would think it was a real promo code, but I... I think it sounded legit. <laughs> That's oh, just because no. I have a great voice for radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to She-Ra Progressive of Power. For one more week still, I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. And I'm still worried about... We don't actually have any sponsors. We never really have. Remember when you took improv courses in college, Lauren, and they taught you to deny premises? I never took improv courses. I was in the improv troupe, but my talent was all just raw and real. I was never did educated, not te- baby. Wait, wait. Did Peoria not teach you yes and? Uh, I mean, they did, but who wants to Who wants to go by those old, outdated rules about improv? Why should, We're doing, why should I listen to that when I can just get the easy laugh right away We're doing with a funny voice? No, but, and never. We're doing shut up, Eric. <laughs> I mean, that's just my life, man. That's just my life. Anyway, um, the first two episodes of this season, we didn't have any guests, uh, and we were just talking to ourselves about She-Ra, and... Honestly, they're, they're like our most listened to episodes for their first weeks, which is crazy, but uh, we thought you might get tired of us, so we have some really baller guests coming up, starting with just right now. Yeah, thank you for finding us during the pandemic. I assume that's why so many of you have found this show. We've gotten a lot of great fan letters, and we've taken a lot of your suggestions for guests to have this season. Uh, today we have someone not 
from Shira, but someone we've been wanting to talk to for a really long time, uh, a local friend of ours. This is James D'Amato. James is the co-founder and president of One Shot of the One Shot Network, hosts the One Shot podcast and campaign Skyjacks. I recently saw James uh, on the Try Guys YouTube channel, which I really want to talk to him about, too. Hello, James. Hello, heroes. Uh, thank you so much yes. for having me. On this That's podcast. the thing you say. That's I was hoping I he would say it. I was hoping he would say it. <laughs> uh, y'all, I'm looking at this Catra helmet ring, and it rules. I know. The new helmet rings are more expensive because they're made out of, like, real precious metal. I have the cheap, like, uh, gold-painted one from the previous generation. But the new stuff is legit and looks so good. I think a Catra ring, it would look great on you, James. Uh, I'm considering it. Are you a Catra apologist? <laughs> apologist? She has nothing to apologize for. In fact, <laughs> she should never have to apologize to anyone in her entire life. Oh, what a pointed comment. How relevant. So we brought James here uh, to talk about episode three of season five. It is called Corridors. And uh, for Catra apologists everywhere, I think it is a great high stakes and important episode. I like the first two episodes of the season, but I thought this episode was like awesome. And it was the first one I really latched into. And I think there's so much to talk about here. And I'm glad that we have someone. So we should probably explain like One Shot Network is a uh, like a network of actual play and role playing podcasts. And James is someone who I would have to guess, James, you know a lot about like character motivation because you spend a lot of time thinking about why would characters that you're writing do things. And I think that's like a really juicy topic this week. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the characterization in this episode, like they're are some of my favorite small moments that, that talk about the characters that are on screen. I mean, one thing that is great about She-Ra and the Princesses of Power is that it is such a character-driven show, and these characters really wear themselves very well in every episode that they're in. But th- there are so many moments in this particular episode that made me go, yes, that's who you are, and I love to see it. Uh, and you are absolutely right. Uh, I, I am neck deep in characters at all time. Uh, on one shot, we tour different role-playing games, which means we're making dozens to hundreds of characters uh, to examine through play and you know just try and tell interesting stories with and i've had the good fortune on one shot to play with noel stevenson before uh so if you're curious uh about like one shot and you want to hear something that is vaguely she-ra related uh noel and her wife uh, molly came on our show and played a superhero rpg with us and they were both delightful that's so cool. What What is the title of that episode? Like, where can folks find it? Because I'm sure they will. Uh, so that, that was Masks. Uh, if you just search for One Shot and Masks, that should come right up. Amazing. So I don't know if you, something Lauren and I talked about uh, last season, or I guess, actually, Lauren, this was like three seasons ago that we did the Larry Dottilio tribute. Yeah. But literally whole episodes of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe were lifted from Larry Dottilio's role-playing campaigns. <laughs> And so we don't have, you know, official confirmation, but James, as, as someone who crafts many a campaign, are there elements of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power that you can point to and say, I bet that came from a role-playing game? I mean, uh, oof. you know, it, it's hard for me to put that on the shoulders of She-Ra, because uh, I know, like, Noel was creating She-Ra, 
in like when Molly and her were like starting their relationship. And I think Molly kind of brought Noel to the role-playing table to begin with. I, I could be remembering that wrong. Uh, but like, I think the whole of princesses of power is a show that is made by people who clearly love the characters that they're working with um, and love to watch those characters in tense and fun situations. Uh, like one thing that I think is a hallmark of a great show where somebody knows their story is mutable is seeing a lot of moments where more than one ship seems like it's going to fly. Like, you know, on, on Princess of Power, like there is a short period where like Adora and Glimmer are in a hot spring together and it feels like they're cozying up to each other. And it feels to me like that is a hallmark of a staff of animators who's like, we've got differing opinions on where these romances in the show could go, uh, which to me is very RPG. I love that, and for sure we're going to talk about that today because I think uh, – so we have these bingo card predictions for the season, right? And one of my predictions was directly in contrast to one of Lauren's, and I think that today's episode puts the uh, puts the nail in my prediction. It, does, it may not prop up Lauren's yet, but I think it kills mine, so – uh, we'll talk about it as far as ships go, I should mm-hmm. say. Yeah, I think this episode got the closest to validating your bingo square and then murdered it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it could I was like on the edge of like, ooh, maybe. So my prediction, James, because we don't need to be vague about it. it I thought that Glimmer and Catra was going to become the the new leading ship of the season based on the finale of last year wow. where it seemed like it would be like those two against the the robotic like horde empire on their own and for a few episodes we're almost leading to that but then i think this episode takes a turn where it's obvious that like there's only one person for Captain. yeah yeah uh i mean like again that that's a thing that this show does really well which is i, I think i said way back in season one maybe maybe it was season two when it started whenever scorpia first showed up uh i was watching it with my spouse mel and i was like i just want to see all of the characters on this show on the same side like because everybody kind of works well together and like have different character traits that are fun to mix and match with each other uh which, again, like, I, I think this show does a really great job of figuring out ways to explore connections between everyone. And, you know, I, I think it was perhaps a bit of a pie-in-the-sky thing to hope for uh, Glimmer and Catra. But, like, there's also some substance there, you know? Especially at the time that we left them last season because they had both kind of cast aside everyone who was important in their lives. Exactly. James, I tried so hard to make Eric's bingo square a little bit looser. I was like, oh, so does it have to be canon or can it just be, you know, like a valid ship? Because it's kind of already a valid ship. And he's like, no, it only counts if it's canon. And so <laughs> I couldn't stop him. <laughs> well, er- Eric, you always have AO3. So thank you. I just thought maybe, you know, Catradora was the past and we were going to get something new and i mean no spoilers but i think the end of this episode makes it quite clear that that's not the case (laughs) at all so 
I'm willing to take the the L on that one. So I'll call it now. Glimmer Catra, uh, not a bingo, not a bingo mark. That is not a ship, not the ship. If that was the square that was keeping you from getting a full line, we are so sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we do the episode summary, because Eric, that's your jam, and I still want you to do one, I want to back up for a second and just say thank you, James, for legitimizing uh, making your characters smooch as a completely okay and cool reason to roleplay. Uh, like, for me, it is one of my primary motivations. Uh, there, <laughs> there are a lot of people out there that get into roleplaying games, you know, for fighting or finding treasure or seeking power. For me, it's all about that romance. Uh, my, my favorite game of all time is a system called Starcrossed, which if you like this show, you should look it up because Starcrossed is an RPG specifically about forbidden romance. Um, oh. Yeah, it rules. And if you love this show and you want to play out some alternate realities that maybe we didn't get to see, like Glimmer and Catra, that is a fun system to play with. Well, uh, no spoilies, but we've already been talking about bringing James back later in the season for something. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that huh. is a path to consider. Wink. I can't wink in real life either. It doesn't matter that we're in audio. <laughs> <laughs> I can't either, actually. I can blink. We, we have so much in common. Yeah. That's no one roleplay us as though it's romantic, though. This is purely platonic, everybody. Y'all, yes. we're in quarantine. Learn how to wink. You got to come out of quarantine with a new skill. If you didn't yeah. come out of quarantine learning how to wink, then you just wasted your time. Corridors, yes. So, mostly this episode takes place on Horde Prime's ship uh, with the captured Glimmer. So, Horde Prime is aware that a First Ones vessel has left Etheria and wants Catra to get info from Glimmer on what's going on with it. What's the story? Uh, Catra is kind of reticent to do that. Catra has kind of her own version of the season one episode promise here where she flashes back to moments with her and Adora in childhood. And we kind of understand Catra's pathos, her like, um, her, her really just backbreaking inferiority complex and jealousy and, and anger issues. And, um, all centered on Adora and Adora's affection. So, Unfortunately, Horde Prime is is a really big, scary cult leader, and uh, we see him, in fact, remind wipe Hordak as a threat to Katra, basically saying, like, if you don't help, I'm going to do this to you. And so uh, Katra tries to get some info from Glimmer, kind of plays along with Horde Prime. All the while, Adora, Bo, and uh, Entrapta are on a starship, make, on the ship, making their way towards Horde Prime's vessel. But their plot is more played for comedy here. Uh, again, this is mostly about Horde Prime and especially Catra. So, uh, in trying to convince Catra not to give her up, Glimmer says the prophetic line, uh, do one good thing in your life. And Catra, upon reflection, and especially on thinking about Adora, decides she's going to. She helps Glimmer break out of the clone's clutches and teleport to uh, coordinates where she hopes that Adora, Entrapta, and Bo will be waiting for her. 
uh, and defies Horde Prime. But she herself does not get off the ship, and Horde Prime, at the end of the episode, seems set to uh, use her to bring Adora to them by any means necessary. So one thing that I learned recently, and I don't know if I'm coming to this late, I probably am, but the name of Horde Prime's flagship is the Velvet Glove. And that is really? That is so sensual. You are kidding <laughs> well, me. Wait, well, that's... So to, that's a callback to the original She-Ra series. That was the name of his ship. Lauren, didn't we watch the episode Horde Prime Takes a Holiday? Yeah, I probably yeah. just... I mean, I would not remember something like that. I wouldn't, no, I I wouldn't just, think to. No, I, I wasn't accusing you. I was just checking to make sure we did watch that one. Yeah, um, yeah, super. Yeah, I, so that's the ship where Hordak borrows the... Uh, that's the ship in the story. That's crazy. I can't believe that there are people who look at the new Princess of Power and say, oh, they're forcing LGBT themes on this show when Hordak's ship was called the Velvet Glove. <laughs> Come on, people. Even in the 80s, it was. Yeah. Wow. I definitely want to talk about Horde Prime. Uh, so this is the, maybe I'm slow, but to me, this is the episode where it really clicked that like he's a cult leader. Yeah. Well, this touches on themes that Noel talks a lot about on Twitter and brings into a lot of her art. Uh, Noel has, I think, an uncomfortable relationship with religion uh, that, that she grew up with. And she, she talks about it a lot through creativity. Um, you know, you'll see the auto bio comics that she puts out address it. And even on the episode of one shot she did, she played a character who used to be in a cult. Uh, so like she really loves exploring themes of, you know, cults and, and cult leaders and, and that sort of personality, but also people who are in those environments who emerge uh, like resilient and and individual from it, which I think is really cool. And I really like the way that they address these plot lines on this show, uh, especially like I, I think Katra's uh, captivity uh, up to this point and this episode really kind of reflects the attitude of the cult. Like Katra is afraid at this point and, you know, doesn't know where her play is or what she wants to do. And the people in this organization are not really taking her seriously as a threat or as someone who would escape. Like most of the clones don't even think, uh, don't think anybody would want to get away from this ship. And Horde Prime is so confident in his control over everyone that uh, he doesn't imagine that Catra is going to betray him when literally that's the thing that she's probably best at. I guess apart from one-liners. <laughs> yeah, she's able to beat a lot of clone ass in this episode. Yeah. And it's because it's because the clones just stand there. I think you're right. They just, for whatever reason, despite all of the conquering Horde Prime has done, don't expect resistance from like within the ship. Well, I mean, like this is the center, the seat of his power. And they have been told that he's infallible, right? So this to me... Uh, makes a lot of sense in character that like the clones are clearly resentful every time that Katra doesn't obey an order, but like they don't lash out against her because Horde Prime is very clearly not worried about it. The thing that creeps me out the most about sort of the cultiness 
in this episode is the pool where uh, the characters are purified because it's framed as a very, very good thing and a worshipped thing, but also a punishment. Like, all of the clones are in a very, like, uh, Last Jedi sort of way, like, gathered around and chanting and screaming, screaming and excited by it. It's a thing that they want. But Horde Prime also uses it as a threat against Catra because it is painful. And I think deep down, he knows this is not a desirable thing to happen to like a sentient being. Yeah, the fact that this horribly painful thing is also exalted squicked me out. Like I felt actual like fear watching this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like and and this like think dovetails nicely with the sort of sub theme that's been going on in a lot of uh, Shira, which is abusive relationships and kind of unpacking those. This is another form of that. This is an abusive community that literally worships pain. The solution to your problems, according to them, which the problem, what are the problems here? Individuality, having a name to do that. Like we can fix you, but it's going to hurt you. And the pain that we're putting on you is good pain. Like, that is wild. And I I think that scene really demonstrates pretty beautifully, like, that aspect of an abusive culture. The framing of it like a baptism as a former Catholic also freaks me out. And I don't have any commentary there (laughs) other than that. I think you're keying in on the word purity, which is something Horde Prime says is, is really fascinating, too. There's all sorts of kind of cultural uh, associations with that word uh, i don't think it's an accident that all the clones wear white mm-hmm. uh whereas like hordak you know our, our guy is, is dressed in black as like uh, you know evil but like the the white evil is almost like a, a different like creepier signifier and there's also like this kind of the subgenre of of horde clones under religious cult is like zombies like when they're trying to break the door to the transporter room down and stuff, it's very like zombie movie coded, which I think is also a pretty neat uh, statement on how cultish people act <laughs> and comport themselves. And also like it, this really addresses the kind of disposability that Hordak treats his followers with. Like we see Katra take down a ton of people and clearly the message by the end of the episode, like these Hordaks don't defeat Katra with overwhelming skill. Kat, we've seen Katra go toe to toe with She-Ra tons of times. They beat Katra by just keep, they keep on sending clones until they have enough to overwhelm her entirely. Uh, and I, I have no idea how many of those people died, but like clearly he doesn't value people that follow him either. The light dark symbolism is very heavy handed in this one. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, <laughs> the corridors, the name corridors, at least in one sense, comes from a moment where Katra is literally standing in a hallway and sees two paths <laughs> ahead of her and one is dark and one is light. Um very ham-fisted, in my opinion. Um, I'm a little critical of that. I do but... I do wish that she had said, I wonder which path I should take, and then look at the <laughs> camera and wink. That would have been Yeah. Good. Maybe she can't wink either. 
I don't think it needs that subtlety. I mean, like compare it to other stories where we get this. Like in Star Wars, they're literally spending half of their runtime every movie on talking about the dark side and the light side, mm. which if you step back from it, from it being like this huge cultural behemoth is wildly ham fisted. So I, I, I just thought it was cute. <laughs> And, you know, it's a th- it's fun. It's for kids, whatever. Yeah, that's the point that I make on this show often, and I'm glad someone else did it in this case because I was kind of drifting away from it. <laughs> it is a show for kids, and this may very well be the first time some kids are seeing these themes, and so it is actually completely fine to be like, look, she has a big choice to make right now. And, like, kids are never too young to learn about the evils of organized religion. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> I could have used media like that sooner. I'm not going to lie. Yikes. I mean, truthfully, I can't remember any media from when we were kids that dealt with, like, cults. I feel like that was a very taboo Whenever it came up, like, it was always as part of a very special episode. And (laughs) what I kind of felt about those episodes is they were always really victim-blamey. You know, people would fall into cults because they were weak or they were vulnerable. They they wouldn't fall into cults because of like a lot of the complicated uh, feelings and uh, cultural forces that that go behind that. And one of the things that I really like about Chira, Princesses of Power, is we see it from a lot of different angles. Like many people emerge from this environment as unique individuals who you know choose to do the right thing at the end of the day even when they didn't have an opportunity really to do the right thing before that that is really true and actually james i don't know why i didn't think of this but the one show i can think of that dealt with cults was a very special episode shout out to your sister it was boy meets oh, world shoot. you guys remember the cult episode sean joins the cult it's the same episode where his teacher mr turner gets somehow written off the show because, like, Turner goes to, like, beat up the cult leader, and the cult leader, very horde primey, is like, oh, you must just be missing something from your life. And and then, like, unrelated Turner gets in a motorcycle accident and almost dies. <laughs> and Sean decides, Sean decides to leave the cult because that's real, not the, the happiness that the cult promises. <laughs> it's so... It's really... Like, it's not a bad episode, but hearing the summary, it's so... Like... Catra's choice is, is super subtle compared to Boy Meets World. Yeah. Know that I forgive you for trying to shut us down. You forgive me? Oh, easy, George. Come on, he's just trying to get a rise out of you. Look, you're not dealing with gullible little kids here now, buddy. Now, you brought Sean down. Thanks. Now, why don't you just take a hike back to Conland? Now, do you see how judgmental these no, people no, are? No, no, listen. You see, a judgment I made a long time ago is that Sean Hunter is the best friend that my kid ever had. And I will kill to protect Sean Hunter from people like you. Alan, he would love a lawsuit. I think there's a lot of anger here. And I don't feel that this is a healthy environment for Sean. Well, I really Look, don't Look, I give... know you don't respect my philosophy, but for kids who feel lost and have an emptiness in their lives, I'm here to give them a sense of belonging. You can't have Sean. 
That's up to Sean. And in any event, there are many more just like him. So come on, Sean, let's go. Sean? So wait, let's, this is actually kind of fun in quotation marks. I'm trying to think of the first time I encountered the concept of a cult in pop culture, and I actually think it's my favorite video game of all time. It's Earthbound. Uh, I played Earthbound when I was eight, and uh, it's my favorite. I'm gonna, my next and only other tattoo I want is gonna be from Earthbound. And the second party, like the second main character that you get is Paula, and she starts the game trapped in a, a cult. And they're called the Happy Happiests. Again, it's very much about, like, if you join us, you will be happy. And they all wear, like, blue cloaks and blue hoods. Startlingly uh, KKK-esque in the imagery, Ooh. which is not a thing I grasped onto when I was eight, but is definitely true. And uh, they paint everything blue. And it's this monotony of, like, everything is the same. And once everything is blue, there will be peace and we will be happy. And they all chant blue, blue all the time. And like, on one hand, I see a lot of parallels to Horde Prime, you know, like, let's all unite under this one banner. Let's all come to the light. Let's all be the same. But certainly in Earthbound, it's framed as such comedic extremism that like as a kid, I never would have compared it to like my own religion or anything I was experiencing yeah. in my real life. Well, there, and I'm remembering now there's a Simpsons episode, too, because I, th- I think about mm. it. I think comedy is where cults appear more in pop culture, because when I was a kid, I remember the, it, this being like a real thing that like my mother was terrified of because it was like the Waco siege with um, David Koresh. And like there were some other examples of like cults that were like very active. I can't remember the last time we heard about one in media, like in real life, that was like some kind of like suicide cult. Maybe they're just better at, you know going under the radar now now it's just uh, scientology and they're treated like they're legit yeah exactly exactly but yeah i think about like simpsons and family guy and like i think futurama did cult episodes so it's interesting for like a children's action adventure show to take this on as really like the whole series bad guy i think this season challenges you to think hard about why someone unfortunately might find an environment like that appealing mm-hmm. and in the characters that we sit with in Shira, it's mostly like relationship-based suffering you know like you don't have to suffer the heartache or the pain of unrequited affection or complicated emotions if you just join this group and you know i uh, more than anyone i know i can like unfortunately relate to like yeah i've been through some really awful relationship stuff and maybe it would be better if i could just not experience that anymore and it's very easy to see how someone especially framed as like young as a catra or a glimmer or an adora could find something like that quite um tempting and 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 this is part of the ongoing conversation that the series is having around this too because all of this toxic relationship and, and uh, uh, social ring stuff starts in uh, the Horde military anyway, except it's instead of being a religious cult, it is a kind of authoritarian military complex. So like Adora comes from there and, you know, she like doesn't know what parties are because she's been raised not having access to 
you know, that kind of peaceful life. Uh, and this cult is just like another wing of it, another look at that. And like, I, I think it's unique and different uh, while still being part of the same thing. Now you're, you're talking about this, this like military industrial complex. Uh, of course, it's this is all fantasy, right? Like in the real world, there's no link between that and and uh, religious fundamentalism. Uh, yeah, probably not. It's it's probably not like <laughs> religious fundamentalists are maybe pulling the strings behind some of those organizations. In a sounds fake to way. me. Lauren, do you want to talk about? Um, I'll be the one to do it this time. A current political issue before we circle back to Shira real quick. I mean, I felt like we already brushed up against a current political issue, which is shop at Han Cholo instead of making uh, Jeff Bezos the first trillionaire. But sure. I mean, yes. Okay. Hit me me with another one. So one of the bigger news stories while we're recording this, which is about six days before you'll hear it, is that uh, kind of the leaders of this new push to reopen America are churches, are religious leaders, and they have an ally in the president. Um People are saying, oh, our, our spiritual uh, health is just as important as our physical health. And, like, we have to go worship. And the fact is, according to the CDC and the WHO and all these, like, organizations that know what they're doing, um, churches are one of the most dangerous places you can go right now. Because it's a bunch of people packed tightly in. There's no social distancing. There's lots of, like, commonly touched surfaces i mean if you're a catholic jesus like you're yeah. getting communion and the kiss and of peace are, like geez right just like singing outward into the air from your mouth right yes singing singing is actually very dangerous in public right now but but churches feel like they should be allowed to open and that they're being persecuted for being asked to hold services online it just drives me crazy that these people really think that they have a right to congregate in the face of all this evidence and that lots of people, including the president, believe them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard to suggest that the president uh, believes anything, but will do anything he finds convenient. Um, speaking of, let's talk about how there's no social distancing in Hordak's armies. Huh? They're all standing <laughs> shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. What's up with that? The clones? That seems unsafe. The clones are just... And they've got to be vulnerable to the same diseases. That that's just a nightmare waiting <laughs> to happen. No, that's real herd immunity right there. All I wanna get is a little bit closer. Uh, so if if we could, I'd love to talk a little bit about uh the uh Adora side of this plot because like we are getting a lot of comedy there. It, it's not the you know really kind of uh deeply emotional story that we're getting from Katra but there are so many moments in that plot line that like just make me go gosh I love these characters so much like I we need a better word than bimbo because himbo and thembo to me <laughs> carry this beautiful kind of like affectionate and loving embrace of somebody being very attractive and very strong and not very smart. Like Adora is there when, when we have like Bo and, uh, and Trapta leaving the room and suddenly something starts going wrong with the ship. Adora being like, Oh God, I am not equipped to handle this at all. And just going in to break it more. Ugh, that that's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment. 
Yeah, I loved watching these characters in this section of, of the story. Um, we really see Bo struggling with leadership, and it's not even necessarily the concept of leadership, it's who he must lead. Because yes, he is he is leading that version of Adora, and also Entrapta, um, who is crafting entire spacesuits and floating out in space. By the way, great character moment is a spacesuit with a midriff, and spacesuit with a ponytail. Those cannot be airtight what the heck <laughs> well yeah the the ponytail is wild <laughs> but my my read on it is that perhaps perhaps uh entrapted just put a false ponytail on the back of it either way the fact that entrapto is like well Bo will definitely need his midriff window otherwise he's not himself it's like yeah that's great <laughs> it is high tier respect like if I want to believe, because I don't think it was a fake ponytail because Entrapta's pigtails are out as well. Yeah, that's true. But like, I guess the alternative is she developed such advanced technology that like the vacuum of space uh, allows hair to be out. And that's a really caring thing to do for your friend's hairstyles mm -hmm. and your own hairstyle, really. Highly individualized innovation absolutely uh no i i love the the zany like herd of cats that Bo has to deal with uh throughout this episode it's great uh, it, one uh, one thing i love about this episode is like very clear that entrapta is aware that she's in a cartoon and Bo's the only one left trying to take the world seriously it's it's just good I definitely, so for one, I labeled that whole section as slapstick because I think it is. And that's mm -hmm. amazing that we're still doing slapstick in the final season of this epic. But Bo is kind of becoming like his dad's. <laughs> <laughs> one other part of the space sequence I really liked at the very end when Glimmer teleports out into space and Bo saves her. And she's got this like force field thing around her to protect her from the vacuum. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that her tears were like getting force fielded as they came off of her body. Yes. Oh, yes. interesting. That was so cool. That was very cool. Uh, if we're talking small details that we loved, uh, at the end of the episode, when they are talking to the ship, uh, Entrapta hugs the hologram, and the hologram just like scoots out of her arms. <laughs> it's the best. Darla. That's great. Is the name Darla anything, Eric? I'm putting you on the spot, but is Darla anything? <laughs> That's the name so the I ship. don't think, I think it's, to me, it reminds me of like Cheers or Who's the Boss or something. It's like this like 80s sitcom name. However, I do happen to have the, um, Masters of the Universe character guide and world compendium next to me because I was looking things up as the season went on to see if they were indeed anything. I and knew, now I, I, knew look, I could count on you. I just knew I will knew look it. to see if there's a Darla. Okay. We have a Darius. Darius Rucker. He's in this universe. There's actually two Dariuses. A Daryl. A dark one. There's no... There's a Daryl. But no Darla. That's so a there shame. you go. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Glimmer because I love, like, one of the things that this episode really makes clear about Glimmer, uh, just as a person, is 
she's had such a positive and emotionally open environment in Bright Moon that she is willing to like hang on to any tiny thread of like hope that uh, somebody in the worst situation is going to treat her well. Like she trusts Katra very, very quickly because she, and I, I feel like it's a real reflection of her coming from a place that's just extremely healthy with how people talk to each other and openly communicate. That's exactly what she expects from Katra. Even even having all of this history, knowing the ways Katra betrays people or, or uh, you know, toys with people, Glimmer just runs into it head first. It's great. I think Glimmer has a lot of guilt and, you know, maybe maybe it's warranted about the way she left things with Bo and Adora the last time she saw them. Mm-hmm. And Katra arguably should have a lot of guilt, too. And I think that is where they find common ground in this episode. That is where a lot of the trust comes from. Um, I was really pulling for a Eric. I was really pulling for that bingo square when they were sitting together talking about sleepovers and yep. sort of mm-hmm. blushing back to back um, and comparing their lives and what they're going to do when they're like together back at home. Didn't sail though. Uh, but I, I, I saw well, the credibility building between them. I'm going to be honest too. For a second, I felt bad because I I thought neither one of us really considered polyamory, uh, which I think is something we've gotten yelled at before. Uh, but then I was like, well, I d- even though this is a very progressive show, I-, I can't imagine they would hinge their main character into a polyamorous relationship. But yeah, the- their back-to-back talk about the things that they find charming but weird about Adora, for a second I was like, maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, that is, in a certain way, like, they have the same ex in Adora, right? Like their relationship with Adora for both of them at that point is as far as they're concerned, extremely on the rocks. So uh, they are just sort of talking about this person that they love, but have a complicated past with together. And it's really great. And folks, does this show need polyamory? Like, obviously, of course it would be great, <laughs> but that's what we have Seahawk for. You know? <laughs> I so. I actually have a, a headcanon polyamorous relationship that we can talk about in the final episode of the season. Mm, we're good, gonna good. save we're gonna save so much for that final episode. Our final episode is gonna be four hours long. Um, it might be two episodes. I will say, although polyamory is not my personal choice in my life, I have been here for that like meme that's been going around, which is Adora essentially saying this is my girlfriend, Katra, and Katra's girlfriend, Glimmer, and Glimmer's boyfriend, Bo, and Bo's girlfriend, Perfuma, and Perfuma's girlfriend, Scorpia, <laughs> and so on and so on. I'm like, yes. I would live in that world. I would happily <laughs> live in that world. It's good. And some of the art that like Noel and company have been putting out, I think some of them see that world too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, here's the thing that we can say. It hasn't been confirmed, but it hasn't been denied either. So... You can go a For long. Sure. You can go a long way in this fandom with like, well, technically, no one stopped us. That no one said no. You give me an inch, and I will take light years, <laughs> my friend. 
And I, I think you're totally right, James, about like Glimmer's just expectations, like healthy communication, opening her up to Catra. Mm-hmm. I also think there's something, uh, there's a thread in this season about like the familiar versus the, the I don't want to say foreign because that gives it a connotation I don't mean. but The like, hostile. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. There's like a already kind of a bond between Catra and Glimmer. They're strangers in a strange land, even though there are lots of issues between them that i know we'll unpack later but i do think we should talk about uh kind of the big emotional arc of the episode which is catra's refusal to ever apologize which kind of relates to this these issues of reconciliation uh lauren do you have opinions about that i bet you do oh boy (laughs) uh i don't know how many opinions i should share i feel like i'm just gonna get attacked by the fandom but i I'm on record over and over, and I'm sorry to everyone. I'm not a Catradora shipper. Uh, and this episode, it is my favorite episode in the season. I did cry. I cried. This is the first time I cried in this season, and it did not stop for several episodes. But the flashbacks I found pretty disturbing. Um, like, Catra would hit Lonnie because she was jealous of Lonnie and Adora's relationship. And repeatedly, she would throw Adora across a room or leave scratches on her face that would just last for days. And I found that violence very extreme for my taste. Well, and well, I, one thing that I think that we should be aware of, is, especially as we talk about Catra as a character, I, being that abusive relationships are one of the central themes of this show, Katra is right now being raised in an environment where she's being taught that violence is the only thing about her that is redeeming or useful. And being raised by a parental figure who denies her her every achievement. Like, yes, that's very disturbing behavior, but given the conditions she's in, like, it kind of makes sense. Uh and yeah, like obviously uh, Adora shouldn't be putting up with any of that, but she's being raised in that same environment too. Uh, and like, it is a very complicated history that those two characters share undeniably. Uh, but, you know, it also means they really understand each other. Um, Katra has was, when she was a child, made to suffer so many indignities. The idea of I will never apologize to anyone, like... That feels like a very powerful declaration of self uh, that I I think carries through, which makes this sacrifice that she makes to send Glimmer back to Adora like a very, very beautiful and powerful moment in that character. Like, even if you look at it outside of the ship, just that character's development in terms of what she finds valuable in her life and what she finds valuable about herself. I'm delighted that you're here because I would very easily just be like, nah. And I think you're I think you're the voice that our listeners actually want to hear. So thank you for that. You've actually like you moved my needle a little bit there. You really did. I'm gonna take the middle path because as we all know from reading Facebook arguments, anyone who claims both sides is automatically uh elevated to the level of smarty. The most civil. <laughs> ah, yes. Um no, I I do I definitely agree with James and I think there's also like a level of like sci-fi fantasy abstraction in a lot of these like terrible things that Catra 
both uh, has done to her and then perpetrates on others. Uh, yes. I do think it is viscerally harsh. And I don't know. I agree with you, though, James. Like, ultimately, the never apologizing, it is her, like, carving out a piece of herself. And I, I think this is a powerful moment of... Because her, her literal words is... Uh, she says... Fuck, she literally says, I'm sorry for everything. Like, yeah. that's that's crazy. And in a very literal way, the episode implies at the end that she is going to lose herself, that she's going to get mind-wiped by Horde Prime. So Yeah, yeah. She basically does say she's willing to have that happen to her at this point, which is a very sad thing to see. Like, yeah. I would frame her in this moment as suicidal, and I don't say that lightly. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think she's supposed to be presented that way. Absolutely. And we can't, like, to me, the the prime characteristic of Catra is not her violence or her jealousy or, or, or any. It, it's the fact that she has so, she basically has zero self-worth, you know, at all. Mm-hmm. She has this line, all I do is hurt people. There's no one left in the entire universe who cares about me. Which, on the one hand, like, you could see that on like a t-shirt at hot topic and laugh at whoever said it but the way it's delivered here you feel it you know it's like she really thinks literally no one cares because her whole life has taught her that no one does well yeah and and like from so many different angles too and if we think about this character's history up to this point for a while she believed that that was the only redeemable part of herself was that she hurt people and she was good at it like when Adora left her life for the longest time in her childhood, the fact that Adora loved her and accepted her was the only thing keeping her around. So when Adora finally walked away from that life and Katra was left without it, like she she had nothing except because except being repeatedly told that you hurt people and you hold people back. And so she decides to hurt people and hold them back and kind of embrace her own power in that way uh, until it leads her to like, well, she's burned every bridge imaginable, some of them several times over. uh, And she's finally left alone with herself. And what does she have? But like herself to examine. And when she does, she finds out that, Katra can do one good thing in her life. And bless her, Katra is so great uh, that she only ever needs to do one good thing in her life. Katra apologist. Katra apologist. I, again, I will never apologize for Katra. (laughs) She does not have to apologize to anyone. Katra did nothing wrong. I want to point out two more things about Katra. So uh, point the first, this is a little bit more lighthearted. I set it off mic, but I want to make sure it's on mic as well. Uh, Noel and company are on record as pointing out that Noel is, but that Katra is quote unquote literally a cat, uh, and so <laughs> it's like half, it's half a joke, but it's half real. Like there are characteristics about Katra from the gray streaks in her hair and the way she moves her ears, down to the fact that she scratches people when she's cornered, that we're actually supposed to take as like not even that complicated, but just traits of a cat, you know? And yeah. how how many cat owners are out there who are like, I love my cat and they're the best, but occasionally they lash out. Like, yeah, that's just cat stuff. 
And so maybe some of this stuff we're just supposed to kind of gloss over as cat stuff. I don't know, it's possible, and I wanted to make sure we acknowledge that. But the other thing, and I guess this is spoily spoils, I really wanted more Catra backstory at some point in this series. She's the only cat person who is presented, and earlier on in the show, we saw a cat-type outline in the colorful, like, ring of princesses. And I really thought we were going to get more about who she is or who her people were. Uh, for a while, I was really seeking that as some sort of, like, validation. It was going to explain her personality a little bit more, and it was going to, like, unlock more about her. But maybe it's okay that we don't get it, because this season is not entirely about lore and backstory and mythos, but it's about who these characters become despite their past. Their past doesn't matter. It's about who they are today. And Lauren, you said one of my big theses for the season, which is that ultimately, and we'll talk about this later too, I don't think this season is all that interested in world building. It is purely about characters. And I think there's... A lot of good that comes from that. And there's some disappointing moments, too, that we'll cover later. But I think this season looks at all of the questions of what is the galaxy and the world like. And it's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's about Catra and Adora. And so that being <laughs> said, the end of this episode, this is when I was like, oh, I think there might actually be romance here. Because the way that these two characters talk about each other, Catra like absolutely manic that Adora might fall into Horde Prime's trap. And then more so, Adora so distressed that Catra is getting, uh, like the clones are, are, are going to get her. I was like, oh man, I think Lauren's going to be mad at this one. <laughs> Lauren's going to be mad at this one, but Lauren made Catradora cannon her bingo square. So even if the ship sailed and she was like not psyched about that, she still get to win something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to win in the end, you might say. Yo. You're going to win in the end. So that said, are there any other bingo squares we need to cover this week, Lauren? I think the only thing we got is for sure that I was wrong. There's no Glimmer Catra ship. No, uh, definitely some good glimmer speeches, but not the like Academy Award winning reconciliation speech. Although we're <laughs> teed up for that next episode, I, I think, think. I think it's coming. We didn't have a bingo square for aping the Martian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did. I, I wanted to point that out how like. I just feel like the catching glimmer scene was literally the Martian. And it, I don't I don't mind. That's a very good movie and a very good homage. But that's what they were doing, right? Like, I'm not alone in thinking that. I, I truly love that, like, in this show full of, like, cartoony cosmic power and literal magic that we had a dramatic let's catch somebody, catch somebody in outer space episode. That's just good. And I do want to throw in, I know we're trying to wrap up because it's been over an hour, but I I didn't, I like Catra. I like Catra just fine. I don't feel like Catra Dora is like my favorite thing, but at the end of the episode, when Catra literally laughs at Horde Prime, when he's like, you were beloved in my sight, and she just laughs in his stupid face, I was team Catra for a moment, so... There's a there's still a little bit of it there. I'm still a I, fan. 
That is Catra's superpower, right? Is that like after betraying literally everyone in her life, like she always gets like this evil overboss who's like, well, I've seen that you've betrayed everyone else, but I know you're not going to betray specifically me. Uh, probably, guy. <laughs> probably. <laughs> so, so Lauren, did this episode give you a newfound sympathy for Catra, or did it take James's inspiring speech to do that? Um, I'm gonna give James the W. Mm. Just because, maybe, I mean, maybe because he's sitting right there more than anything. <laughs> and you know, we can we can type that speech up. We can have Glimmer say it, and you know that'll <laughs> that'll really square, underline yeah. it. I think it's funny that you use the word superpower, though, because one of my bingo squares that is not looking good is that Katra gets a superpower, and I don't think we uh, I don't think we can count snarkiness. She's always Katra's, had that. Her superpower is that she's gay and mad. That's it. <laughs> now more than ever, that power is important. <laughs> Uh, James, thank you so much for hanging out with us. I've just had a blast with you. Um, before you go, uh, I know you plugged some of your work with Noel. I, I'm a big Try Guys fan. I saw you on that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, where else can our fans and listeners spot you? What are some things you've been up to lately? Uh, so if you would like to find me and my great works, uh, the best place to go is oneshotpodcast.com. There you'll be able to find my shows and the shows of the other people uh, on our network. If you're a fan of She-Ra, and I imagine you are listening to this, uh, you should check out our Skyjacks uh, podcast, Campaign Skyjacks. It is about gay sky pirates. Uh, they are on the run from an evil kind of mega corporation and toxic church. Uh, There's a lot of fun stuff, including, uh, you know, some non-binary characters and, uh, you know, just delightful people uh, who are just as acerbic as Catra is. So if you're looking for that, uh, Campaign Skyjacks is, is, is definitely got something for you. That you can pull up on your favorite podcast app. Also, if you are a role player, you can check out the Ultimate RPG Guide series, my books that I've published. Uh, they can be found anywhere books are sold. Um, that includes online retailers, as we live in a time where people can't go to bookstores. So... Hopefully you'll be able to see those on shelves uh, someday again, but you can also get them sent to your home. That's rad as heck. I'll echo Lauren and say thank you for joining us, James. This was awesome. Great to have a guest back on the show. Even better that it's a guest who helped Lauren think through some of her own uh, shortcomings. Shortcomings? (laughs) Misgivings? I think I swapped words. I meant misgivings. I didn't Uh. mean shortcomings. That sounded really mean. (laughs) <laughs> you it have did. no shortcomings Lauren you're perfect that's more like it you're, Lauren you're never apologized in- to anyone for anything thanks for listening to she progressive of power if you like our show you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts we super appreciate it you can also send in any feedback you have to our email address progressiveofpower at gmail.com or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressive of power. They've got to work on their shortcomings.
<laughs> now, where did that word come from? We're in a fight until the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing we're recording Wednesday. Oh uh, no, Tuesday, Wednesday. Oh, it, it is Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, you're uh, right, guys. Th- okay. There's no such thing as time anymore. No, no, time has lost all meaning. I guess I'm. I guess we're not in a fight anymore. I. All right, because time means nothing. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it'll be infinite, and I don't feel like doing that with you. Almost as though we're in some kind of Jeremy Baramy. 